0: Welcome to Thrive Alive. I am your host, Nurse Jasmine, and today, our special guest who will be joining us virtually is Dr. Donna Baptiste. Welcome, Dr. Baptiste. How are you feeling today? Uh, It's so good to see you. So good to
1: see you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for the invite to join you today.
0: We are so, so happy to have you. We are so excited for this episode to learn more about your expertise, hopefully get some tips and some advice on how we can heal through some of our family drama. Um, Mm -hmm. So before we get started, I want to go over your bio for the audience just so we can kind of let them know who you are. So Dr. Donna Baptiste is a department chair and clinical professor in the Counseling Graduate Degree Program at Northwestern University. She loves teaching, training, and student mentorship and specializes in couple distress, infidelity, child and adolescent slash family struggles, divorce, recovery, and mediation, co-parenting and custody consultations, and ethnic minority and immigration family life. Dr. Baptiste is especially devoted to advancing mental wellness in underrepresented minority women. She is the co-author of Promoting Black Women's Mental Health, What Practitioners Should Know and Do. (laughs) Ta-da! And remains deeply committed to promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion in all aspects of her life and work. Once again, thank you so much for being here, Dr. Baptiste. Um, Mm -hmm. Before we go into our interview, someone sent us a letter and I want to read it to you. And we want your advice and expertise on how this person should address this situation. So the letter reads, Dear Nurse Jasmine, this past Christmas was the first Christmas without my grandma Hattie. She passed away last fall. The holidays felt so different and there is still so much tension within my family. Aunt Helen and Aunt Sharon are constantly fighting over who will keep Grandma's belongings. On top of that, none of my cousins are willing to host family gatherings, so we did not get together to celebrate the holidays like we have in the past. For so many years, Grandma Hattie was the glue that held us all together. Now, it feels like things are slowly falling apart. What do you do when the matriarch of your family passes away? What advice can you give to my family as we learn to adjust to new roles and shifting responsibilities?
1: Wow. Ooh. Um And may Grandma uh, Hattie, is her name? Grandma Hattie. Rest in peace. You know, what comes to mind for me is the loss of an important family member. And I know we talk about grieving a lot, which is actually, it could be a good issue. And it sounds like it's been a year, so this family is grieving. Mm -hmm. But losses in family life, especially of family members that are key to sort of keeping things together, keeping young ones, um, you know, guiding, mentoring, the glue. I'm thinking of, I don't know if you remember that movie, Soul Food. Remember that? Yeah, so it reminds me a little bit about that. So, um, you know, in the early stages of grief, and grief can last, so when there's a loss, a powerful loss, people actually grieve. And I think sometimes there is a tendency to think grief is one and done. Mm. You know, she's in a better place. Or Grandma Hardy is, um, she's resting with the angels. But what happens is families lose um, just a sense of balance and stability. And with grief, emotions are powerful. So grief would normally have phases. And the first one is deep mourning. And I would say that lasts for a while. So this family is definitely mourning. And one of the things in grief work um, in with individuals or families is triggers that can occur around fa- the anniversary of loss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as this um, their woman says, it's a, the first Christmas, I think, mm-hmm. was said first
0: Christmas without, without Grandma
1: it. Hattie, then yeah, you have a resurgence of all the feelings of bereavement. Mm-hmm. And so in family life, um, I'm actually teaching a class now, and a uh, couple and family work, and I just actually talked with our students about the importance of um, when there are changes in family life. And it can happen all kinds of ways. Loss, divorce, right. um, the illness of a family member. You know, there are different ways. Um, it could be uh, somebody loses a job or mm-hmm. different things can happen. And families are, I would say, black and brown families. Things happen. This could, Things can happen a lot. Poor families. Things can mm-hmm. happen a lot. Um, the family must find a way to, we use the term adapt, mm-hmm. which is, absorb the change and then accommodate it and shift, Mm. you know, almost like moving around, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? So now somebody might need to take on the role of matriarch or sometimes without even speaking about these things, people step up or somebody is given the role. Um, Not surprisingly, in times of grief, conflict can ensue Mm -hmm. and some of it is driven by loss and grief, but it also has to do with, well, what's on you normal now? Right. And so we talk about families needing to adapt to the change and accommodate the change. Whatever the changes, and sort of form or maybe recreate a new structure, mm. a new for a new way of being, a new way of working. And there are times when somebody leads us, or sometimes in the in the normal in the real world, family just fall and they find their way and then they keep moving and absorb the loss, absorb the change and keep moving. Some families can't. They they get stuck. Mm -hmm. And these are the families that uh, might need specialized support, professional Mm -hmm. counseling, say, for example. But not always. Minister might come along and give some guidance. Friend of the family might drop in and give some guidance. So this family seems to be experiencing normal things, Mm -hmm. triggered memories of the loss, but also maybe can use a little guidance on how to recalibrate so they could keep moving. And that's how family life works.
0: I love what you said about adapting and accommodating because this is, you know, Grandma Hattie, she has gone on to the next life and yes. we have to, you know, we have to figure out how to keep, keep living, keep going. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm so happy that you like used that and you ad- addressed grief because a lot of times I feel like we try to forget about it or mm-hmm. not feel our feelings. So um, it's important to feel it. It's important to adapt. And I'm glad you brought up, if you need some guidance, if, even if it's like spiritual guidance or the help of a counselor, then, you know, that's always a great idea. That's always a great resource.
1: And can I, can I add one other thing about that? Absolutely. Um, you know, families, families, especially I would say uh, family, black and brown families, for example, um, many things have happened, if you think in the histories of our peoples, mm-hmm. and which is why I'm so interested in in you know vulnerable populations, but not just not just by race, by any group. Mm-hmm. Thinking of all the things that are happening in the world right now, families can find their way, but when you have a situation where loss is over and over again, before you could breathe and adjust to one, there's another one sometimes we talk about the the, the compounding of loss Mm -hmm. and grief becomes complicated. So that will be another reason to seek um, counseling. When things get, there's so much, the family can barely breathe
0: Mm. and catch
1: themselves. So that's another reason to uh, think about how we're doing and what do we need.
0: Mm. You know, I'm going to just insert my personal self into this really quick because I recently have, uh, suffered compound loss just like compounded losses and, um, it's hard. It's very difficult. So I'm glad that you brought up, you know, seeking, seeking counseling and just, you know, knowing that it's okay that you are grieving. It's okay to feel what you're feeling, but you have to address it and take care of it.
1: And I will say this, um, There are many resources in our communities that support people through grief. I would say, you know, friends and family members, um, religious communities, churches, and so on. One of the things that, um, I'm a big believer in this, so I'm mentioning it so that people listening could, we must never disenfranchise grief. Mm -hmm. And by that I mean, never allow grief to have its place because it's a normal part of adapting to a loss. And so I know sometimes in with well-intended ways, we might say, this too will pass. Or we might say something like, go on to a better place, keep moving. Mm-hmm. No, grief um, is a systemic experience. Mm. It's in the emotions, which is where people see it, but there's also neurobiology in grief. And the body, the emotions, the spirit must have a place to to move through some of the phases. And if it's rushed, sometimes you see consequences in the life course. Mm. And so I, maybe my message is let's allow grieving a very human and good experience to find its way in people's lives, not to rush it and to support as they move on.
0: Wow, wow. Thank you so much, Dr. Baptiste. And to our person who wrote this letter who will remain anonymous, I hope that uh, these tools and advice will help you and your family um, adapt and accommodate. So, um, I'm gonna go ahead and get started with the interview or conversation, I like to call it. Um, The first question I'm gonna ask you is, would you please tell us a little bit about your background and what has led you to your current line of work?
1: So I think you introduced me as, first of all, a professional counselor. And so that means in the state of Illinois, I'm licensed in a couple of fields as a psychologist, as a counselor, and I also have a, you can call it a specialty in family life. Okay. And that means couple work, work with families and so on. And I came to that, um, I remember being eight years old Um, And right next to my house, there was a woman, not in my household, you know, but there was a family and it was a family in which a woman experienced domestic violence. And Mm -hmm. I remember at eight years old, eight to nine years old, it went on for a while, being very troubled. Mm -hmm. I would worry as I went to bed, what will happen to the children Mm -hmm. who were my friends? Um, Why is in this case a he beating her so much and so on? And I think um, I watched my mother fuss with me about it, meaning she was agitated also. Mm -hmm. And my father, wonderful man that it is, wanted us to stay out of it. It burned a path in my brain about the importance of family life. Mm -hmm. And I know we can say, uh, for example, you would think about that idea and somebody is doing something terrible to another. And yes, that's true. But it also raised my curiosity about, well, how would this change? I'm thinking of all members of the family. And I remember thinking of the woman herself, I even thought of her partner at the mm-hmm. time, um, turned out he was alcoholic and we knew that he was a young man. And then I thought about the children. That single incident, as I remember it now, um, birthed my interest in family life, mm-hmm. right? And I, for every stage of education, I found ways to make it relevant to me. Mm. So I studied, I researched, I re- write. As I did that, it, it occurred to me that the role of women in families um, was a big deal. And so some of my current work, writing the book on Black Women's Mental Health, when women do not do well in family life, families struggle.
0: Mm. Not
1: saying that we don't need other members, fathers and um, you know, extended family members, but when the, the caregivers, the female caregivers of a household mm-hmm. do not do well things do not uh, change as quickly, adapt and accommodate and all that. So it occurs to me that Black women's mental health or women's mental health in general, in my, in my case, I'm focusing on Black women, but uh, the lives of most women, of all women. Um, when we do well, communities do well, families do well. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways that I, if I were to draw a line through the themes of my interest and in work, that would be
0: it. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Like something that happened... At such a young age, I try, yeah. yeah yeah, that just yes. that paved the way for all of this great work that you're doing in the community, mm-hmm. and I'm so glad you brought up the importance of women's mental health because we are the the nurturers of the yes. family, and just like with our friend with the passing of grandma Hattie, you know we're the we're the glue that holds yes. the families together, so um that's very interesting. Thank you so much for sharing mm-hmm. that with us.
1: Yes, and lest your, your media, readers, that, your listeners that are male or, you know, men, father figures, um, grandfathers, um, a lot of work is being done about the roles of uh, father, fathering in family mm. life um, or other fathering where it's somebody else that's coming alongside. Not to be diminished at all, not to be diminished at all. And that is good work. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's working right, all caregivers will have the support they need Right. And um, it's about strengthening family life so that people can grow up, and the next generation succeeds, and the next generation, and so on. So,
0: right, right. I'm glad you brought that up. We're not guys. We we not we not hating on y'all. You know, we yeah. just. <laughs> I don't want
1: to become the viral video. That's right, it.
0: right, right, right. Fathers
1: out of family life, right,
0: right. <laughs> um, so moving right along. What are some techniques you use in family therapy to help family members foster intergenerational understanding?
1: Well, I think your your listeners would know this and you don't need a degree or you could say it's not rocket science. There are generational themes in families Mm -hmm. that you see in one generation. And then it moves to the next, like a suitcase. It walks into family life Mm -hmm. and it's in the next family. Patterns, I would say good ones. Mm -hmm. You know, particular kinds of careers that people pursue. So sometimes you see a generation of teachers, Mm -hmm. multi-generations of teachers. I don't know if nursing, medical professionals that might be in your family. Mm -hmm. Um, And you see sometimes a way of uh, sort of uh, celebrations and all that, traditions continue along with that idea that positive legacies can transmit across generations is the idea that negative legacies in family life can also continue. Mm -hmm. And so people, you see this with addictions, Mm. you see one generation of alcohol um, abuse in a family, and you you see the the consequences. And so summarize that idea, the family is an emotional system and the unfinished business of one generation Mm can trouble the next. And so in work that we do around what we call intergenerational or multi-generational issues, the idea is, well, your your listeners would be familiar, breaking cycles. Mm-hmm. That pattern that is the positive ones we want to keep and we and we definitely nurture and support and it's a resource to family life. The negative ones where the issues of one generation transmit to the other and trouble the lives of pretty much everybody Mm -hmm. and so on. And the next generation where you see sometimes three or four in the work of what we call intergenerational counseling, Mm -hmm. we try to figure out what are those legacies and how is it impacting them now? And the the idea is to help the generation you're working with. So let's say it's a couple or it's uh, a, a mom and their children or a family that comes for the work, the idea is how to end that cycle mm-hmm. and provide all the supports, including bringing it to awareness, um, in nurturing and encouraging change, giving voice, communication, all the things that I, what I would call the shock absorbers of family life. And so that's that's the work of intergenerational counseling. And I don't know if I've captured that well, but I hope your I hope your listeners will get the idea, the metaphor. Yeah. Um, The family is an emotional system and things transmit over generations.
0: Mm -hmm. And we have to break. Well, first we have to acknowledge, like you said, we have to acknowledge that, okay, this is something that I'm, you know, that was passed down to me and, you know, I'm struggling with it and I don't want to pass it down to the next generation. Yes. So what can I do now to, you know. Mm -hmm. To fix it, to change it, to break it, to break the cycle. So yeah. And
1: what I'm struck by is some of the patterns, let's call them multi-generational patterns. Mm-hmm. And it could just mean one generation to the other, or maybe three generations or four. Most people know them. And you because they can say, Yeah, grandma used to do so and so, or this this happened, divorces is, is is in our family life, mm-hmm. or line or whatever, because a lot of people are doing. Sort of, you know, all the ancestry work and stuff. People are trying to track, you know, where did I come from? Who, what, what, did, what were my people like? Mm-hmm. There are times people are not sure what to do about it. And that's the idea. It's never about just regurgitating the history just to regurgitate it. It's about breaking cycles in the mm-hmm. current life so that the next generation does not struggle with the same
0: matter. Right, right, right. Breaking cycles. We're gonna take a quick ad break and we'll be back with more questions for Dr. Donna Baptiste.
1: Hi, I'm Pastor Steve Epstein and welcome to Five Alive Presents.
0: We're doing our Thanksgiving
1: food distribution, but in my opinion, it goes beyond just the Thanksgiving,
0: the food and the the uh, fixings, it, it's, the fact that we should be thankful every day for what we're afforded. I love the fact that this is my church (laughs) and my church is outside of the four walls that they go into the community and help people when they need it the most.
1: I just recently found out how to make homemade greens the Holy Spirit way. I need this turkey to put in my greens so I can make it for the upcoming Thanksgiving family dinner.
0: We are back with our special guest, Dr. Donna Baptiste, and we do have a few more questions for you, Dr. Baptiste. So far, you have been giving us what they call it, the tea. (laughs) Um, So next question, what advice can you provide to parents and their adult children as they navigate how to communicate with each other respectfully and effectively especially in areas where there are noticeable differences in lifestyle choices?
1: A great question, Mm -hmm. Ms. Jasmine. Great question. So um, let me zip your readers through. Uh, Parenting will have all kinds of themes and ideas as as young people, children move from the baby phase, you know, adolescent phase, and so on. one of the things I want to leave with your listeners is the idea that parenting of adult children, huge, huge mm-hmm, deal. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, by the time the young person gets to say um, 18 or 19, the years in which you, uh, you, you, have, you will always have influence, mm-hmm. but how you work with them, you know, mm-hmm. eyes on them, um, they're right there to check things and so on. Those mm-hmm. days are over. right? Because right. young people are now making their way into the world um, to live their own lives and some to have their own families, mm-hmm. some head off to college, some start working, move out and so on. It's a different stage of parenting than say when they were adolescents mm-hmm. where you could keep eyes on them, but it is no less important. Mm. And so this, yeah. is what I just said here, recognizing different phase. And what I want parents to um, understand is parental control ends, meaning not your show anymore, Mm -hmm. and you don't call the shots. Mm -hmm. That naturally ends as young people sort of grow up and emancipate or move out or sort of find their own. And that's good. And what it transitions to is parental influence. Mm. which is because you gave birth to this child and because this child is important to you and because this young man, this young woman, this person is somebody whose life you care about. Like any other relationship, we want to be able to influence them. And parental influence is actually lifelong. Mm. Um, Sometimes you will see something and offer it. It may not always be accepted, but you offer it. Sometimes your person will come to you to seek it. Parents struggle just with this transition alone. Mm
0: -hmm. When am
1: I switching from the earlier days of uh, authoritative, maybe control, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. which is where you set the boundaries for a child, to where now I'm in a place of influence, but I'm not leading it. I think some parents struggle. Mm -hmm. Some young people struggle. Mm -hmm. Even to know that transition, they maybe stay dependent for too long. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. parents must do the things that allow them to move on in the circle of life. So that can be recognizing the the importance of influence. The question is now, how do I do that? And so you always want to respect your young person's voice. You always want to look at the big picture. Don't ignore the data of them doing well, Mm -hmm. only to focus on the things they're not doing well. Sometimes this person has moved fully into their own lives where they have a family. Mm -hmm. You must accept and embrace their people. Hopefully they were introduced really well, And so you know who these people are. You may not even care for them, but you must respect the choice of your young person. Mm -hmm. And then there are ways in which, as maybe you have grandchildren are born, you must work from behind. Mm -hmm. You are not the lead of parenting. You might see things, we wouldn't do it this way because those things irritate people that are trying to, and allow them to make their own mistakes. And so this is just a set of tips. And then I think the idea with influence is It always requires relationship, Mm -hmm. meaning proximity, connection, um, respect, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I would say admiration and fondness and caring and all the good things that keeps relationships off. So just that switch alone to being influential lifelong is going to be important for parents to grasp as they work with the young people and so on, the 20s, the 30s, the 40s must give room for their choices and decisions, must also retain the right to influence them in a positive
0: way. Wow, that was so good. Oh my goodness. I don't, even, I don't even have anything to like say about that. Like that is just, that's so good because, you know, especially in black and brown families, it's like, you know, you're my child, we're not friends, you know, I'm, I'm above you. And like like you said, a shift happens at some point, you know? Yes. I remember when I first had my son, I called my mom like, whoa, like, <laughs> why didn't you warn me? You know what I mean? She was the first yeah. person I called. And it's, so it's things like that shifts in our lives and going into, like you said, different phases, your 20s, your 30s, your 40s. Your parents been there. But it's all about that communication and how you, you know, grow through Mm -hmm. it together.
1: Yeah. And there are classic mistakes that we parents can make. Like I'm the parent of um, two young people, uh, a 30-something-year-old young man. And um, I have a niece that I raised as a daughter. Mm -hmm. And she is in her uh, late 30s. But I have to know my place. So here are some of the mistakes that we can make. Our voice is too strong sometimes in their business. Mm -hmm. We must allow them to make their choices. And also we must allow them to go through what we did, which is sometimes we make a choice we must reverse. We Mm -hmm. allow them to make, we can be too strident in that. We want to see it exactly how it works. We're thinking they're younger, not anymore. I think we sometimes um, disrespect their choices. Mm -hmm. There are things they want to do, a particular person they might date, somebody they might marry, and so there are times in which you don't like it, we don't like it, and Mm -hmm. so we want to fuss, and so you see conflicts with in-laws, with the, the people that come into the family. Family life is one in which there is what we call expansion, people come in, and contraction, people leave through death and different ways, and we must keep up with ourselves to be respectful of how we manage those transitions. Mm-hmm. So when people come into the family, we must be prepared to welcome them and support our people or children or those we raised to be good mm-hmm. in their roles. And so don't get there too quickly with heavy duty opinions. And then to the extent that we can, we leave them to do their lives in their families, expecting that they will reach back. And so you see young people reaching back for advice mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or they, they pass around to care for their parents and so on. And that is always a wonderful thing in the circle of life. So parents, has, you know, we, we got to watch ourselves yeah. about how we navigate these spaces. Young people must also watch themselves in terms of how they, they use and solicit and use and respect parental influence. Mm-hmm.
0: I like that word, respect. It's yes. it's a it's a mutual thing. It always has to be a, a mutual, mutual thing. thing.
1: Yeah. And how oh, you said you called your mom and said, "Hey, what do I do?" Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful honoring of your mother and her influence in your life.
0: Mm. It's lifelong. You know? Right. 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 Wow. That's so. That's so deep. Um. Okay. We got a few more questions. I know we have a lot of questions, but like you just <laughs> you come with so much. <laughs> <laughs> to give and we just trying to soak it soak it all up um okay what advice can you provide to the rising generations like the millennials and gen z as they navigate how to create healthy boundaries and new traditions that may differ from the boundaries and traditions they were taught as adolescents
1: mm-hmm. what a great question And um, a lot of little mind fields here to watch. So, you know, a lot of um, a lot. I would say a lot of people in my generation. So we are the boomers, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or the older millennials. Um, Sometimes we can bash young people, and I think we can bash them because there are things that we grew up with, the way we were. Mm -hmm. Let's say with authority figures or how we did. I think the first recognition is millennials and Gen, e's, Gen Zs, especially the young ones, Gen Xs, different age, mm-hmm. different age, and uh, in, in just in the world, mm-hmm. information age, technological age, the influences are not just in the home, television. Um, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Uh, So there's a way in which this generation can process information and do relationships that will look different. For example, many of us have raised our young people to respect emotions, Mm -hmm. to express emotions, to ask for what they need, to give us their opinions and so on. And so they do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes it can come over in a way... Where we said, well, we never talk to our elders that way mm-hmm. different age. Right. Because we raised them to tell us what they think and feel, right? Right, right. And they do. So we gotta be patient with that stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think there are many things in the current generation that make young people anxious. Mm-hmm. Uh, your reputation can be destroyed in a heartbeat right. by one act. Mm-hmm on the internet, mm-hmm. viral video, and they watch it. It happens to the people they care about, including celebrities, and it happens to their friends. It makes them afraid. Yeah. And so they toughen up and they, they get lawyer-like asking questions and setting boundaries around privacy and who knows what and all that because of the nature of the age. Mm-hmm. I also think some of the institutions that we trusted and felt good about, marriage, and religious organizations the information age have brought them trauma where that is concerned mm-hmm. and we trusted these institutions sometimes our generation without asking questions but now our young people and now it's it's worldwide and the information is coming the sexual abuse that mm-hmm. has occurred the misappropriation of finances mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. ways in which these organizations how people treat each other, they may have watched. And so they don't trust them. They want a different pair, right? Mm -hmm. Right, right. And so what I'm saying is patience with this generation, recognize the the age they live in is different. And we must adapt our thinking about what respect is, how it shows up and so on. So that is my advice to our group and my advice to young people is also respect that we grew up in a different age and things look different for us. Right. Does that make sense? That
0: makes a makes lot sense of a lot, sense. But I, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I even—I mean, I'm—I'm I'm gonna. My sister is seven years younger than me. Yes. So we—I mean, we kind of in the same generation, I guess. But like, me, when I was growing up, it was totally different from how she was growing up. And we're like, yes. we're we're polar opposites almost. So sometimes it's hard for me to wrap my head around some of the things that she does, but even decisions. Yeah, even like when I was a kid, I don't think we had social media. I think that came out when I was in high school. So like you know, watching we didn't have cell phones, right? Right. We we had the we had the um (laughs) those big block phones, the Nokia, (laughs) right. So, so you, um, got, you got on
1: the little phone and you made the dial with your hands, right? Right, right. Certainly there was nothing like the internet. Well, I mean, it's been around a while now, but when you think of us, yeah. Yeah. People talked a different way. Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. I mean, you have to get married, right? Because that's what people, but right. yeah, some of these institutions have let young people down in mm-hmm. terms of what they expect. And so they're choosing different ways and we must understand that as right. we try to influence them.
0: Right. And we have to respect that.
1: We, we have to respect it. So many trends are happening where young people are less apt to be religious. Mm-hmm. That's not, not necessarily spiritual. Many are, but they don't, they, 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 you know, we used to revere our ministers, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. go talk to your pastor. Well, so much information now about ways in which these institutions, wonderful, wonderful supportive institutions, but some of make mistakes right? and young
0: people know about it. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. Um, okay. Next question. What tools do you encourage your Black clients to adopt to create healthier mental health practices?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and may I may I talk first about women in that perspective? Absolutely, right. So, speaking not just about black people, but black women um, now, and anybody that races this entitled biracial women, women who were born here, women that were not. Um, once you self-identify as black, um, there's a reason why we wrote the book promoting the mental health of black women. And we wrote, what clinicians should no one do? Mm. Meaning if you go for therapy Uh or professional services. Um, If you look around the country, um, there's a sense in which the mental health of black women have been neglected. Uh And so that's the first thing. Women have struggled under the burden of doing too much, Uh being asked to do too much. You name a movement in the United States and around the world in which that is about the advancement of the family of people of color, black people, where black women are not leading. Mm. Think of um, community movements, Mm -hmm. ministries, Mm -hmm. the church, churches, Mm -hmm. women are the laborers in these settings. They are also the laborers in their family, right? And in many different ways, in professional ways, but also just regular ways in which they're supporting. It has burdened the lives of Black women, and many get a lot of significant spirit, but some are not taking care of themselves. Mm-hmm. I was one of those women, mm-hmm. doing for others. And, you know, it's important to do that. But to go the distance in life, we've got to take care of ourselves. So that's one of my first messages to Black women. Find what you need, recognize when we're struggling. Um, black women can struggle with three things that affect us. One is high stress burden mm-hmm. and we will never draw lines but we have to mm-hmm. we have mm-hmm. to know when too much is enough and not just stress stressful thing after stressful thing and said we're going to press through that's number one two um we can sell silence we don't want to talk about it we don't want to so we can keep our own secrets mm-hmm. we can even keep secrets about the things that affect us mm-hmm. um and because and then you're always afraid should we ask for help what would people think of me I mean, and the, the, in terms of social barriers, and for, for how people understand Black women, so much negativity. And then Black women are not apt to ask for help sometimes. Mm-hmm. And they should. And help doesn't mean professional help, but tell somebody that you're struggling. And so we keep yeah. those things inside. Those things are affecting our um, wellness. Mm-hmm. And I think it is directly and indirectly related to why Black women in particular are in the bottom of a lot of statistics of health. Mm. Maternal mortality, right? Some of of it relates to these dynamics. Mm -hmm. Um, Struggle and and different kinds of health issues that we shouldn't. I was looking at CNN and somebody talked about breast cancer, more apt to die from breast cancer. Some of it is how is you know, is in the things that I talked about and ways in which we treat it. So this is my biggest advice. Start taking care of self. Mm. to black women to black people um difficult times are here i think in the united states Mm -hmm. um all kinds of reasons social political it feels to me almost like a a resurgence of some difficult things denials of racism and its impact right Mm -hmm. um a way in which uh, people are worried now about physical safety say black men so there is a lot going on and I would say it's troubled times.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, let's find our anchors mm. and it has always been faith, family,
0: mm. the
1: support of communities, people of like mind. Let's find our anchors because we're going to need it, I think, in the times that are coming in this country. Yes. And so this is my conversation, what that looks like. Um, but in every instance, meeting with a community connecting with people narrating what we feel um supporting other people all those things are definitely things that will anchor us Mm -hmm. and we must find them faith right faith faith community community um giving voice narrating right and building ourselves up through wellness activities Mm -hmm. right that Mm -hmm. we know would be good for us those things have always been anchors to troubled times
0: I love that. I'm, I'm taking yeah. a mental note for myself. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and I have to, you know, those of us that are counselors, we have to, we don't just give advice. We must live by the advice we, so I'm trying to find those things in my life yeah. also. So I'm a person of faith.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and, uh, you know, trying to live well.
0: hmm I'm glad you mentioned that because you, as a counselor, you, you pour so much of yourself. You, you, you're constantly giving and it's like pouring out of a cup and then the cup, the cup can't be on empty. (laughs) When you, you know what I mean?
1: And there's another thing we must also be mindful of. The, 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 the counsel that we provide, Mm -hmm. you know, as we collaborate with clients, to. Um, address things in their life, we must stand in line to do the same for ourselves. Right. So I can't be talking all this stuff about rest and wellness mm. and all that. And up for a long time, I did sort of talk to one side of my mouth, but not doing the same in my own life. And I cleaned that up. Stand in line, be humble enough to stand in line and take your own advice. Yeah. Is my suggestion to our younger counselors. And we must do that too.
0: Wow. That's amazing. So, We're getting ready to wrap up, but I got kind of a question for you that'll help us uh, solidify getting to know you a little bit better. So you talked about these anchors. Yes, the anchors. What are your specific or individual or unique anchors?
1: Me as Mm a person? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. in our field, we talk about, well, I, it, 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 I'm going to use the metaphor of a wheel, but people have talked about it, the, the, the formula, you know, different kinds of ways of wellness, of living well, not just avoiding difficult things, mm-hmm. but living well. So I mean, you can hear me talk about wellness and resilience. Okay. Two important concepts. Um and they're not just opposite to illness or, let's say, doing poorly, not thriving. Mm-hmm. They're different. Mm. They're different, right? Wellness, the center of the wheel mm. of wellness in, in literature, but in mental health literature, the center of that wheel is spirituality. Not necessarily religiosity, because not everybody adheres to a um a a tradition in which they're doing sort of religious activities like going to services or meeting up with other people. Mm -hmm. And I believe my, my chief anchor is faith in, in my case, God and my devotion uh, to living um, in my, in my sacred book is scripture, the Bible. Mm -hmm. And, but you can't just do those things alone and joining a community of like-minded seekers mm-hmm. of, 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 a, of a spiritual life. And so that is for me, my anchor, my chief anchor. Everything else is secondary to that, mm. right? These days, taking my own advice, I'm trying to protect my health and wellness. Mm-hmm. So they like, I, I wanna see my children's children. right? And so I must, I'm fighting to exercise, lose weight um, you know, movement, right. Mm -hmm. I'm also learning lifelong learning is one of the anchors. And that doesn't mean being in school, but things that get me excited, Mm -hmm. things that I, that is that are new and different. And I'm managing my emotional life. I don't want to just popping off the handle conflict with this person and that Mm -hmm. person. So I'm learning to be humble and accept feedback, give it when I need to setting boundaries where I need to. And then there are many other things that are, that are known, what, should, what we said, the, the things that facilitate wellness. One that people may not think about, but I wanna leave with your mm-hmm. listeners. Um, I'm gonna use the word awe, and awe just means being in the presence of something that makes you joyful and gives mm. you wonder. And this is why people visit mountains and go to beautiful gardens mm. and want to be by bodies of water. Yeah, But you can find it in the park next to your house, mm-hmm. watching beautiful pictures online, mm-hmm. babies. Anything that gives you a sense of wonder is a greeting. and we need to invest in that. Um, and so these are some of my current anchors. And of course, one that I thoroughly enjoy is being in relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a study done... Um, it 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 used to be called the the Harvard's men study, okay. and now it's called just the Harvard um, longitudinal study, and they attract generations of people mm-hmm. over time. It started with men, but then they started talking with their children, and da da da. In every scenario, every scenario of at the end of life of what made a difference, relationships. Mm would be number one, two, three, four, and five. Wow. In family life, that that makes a difference to the quality of life. And so we must fight for relationships and we must protect them. So these are my anchors. And so I fight my family life, my friends, um, my church sisters, my church brothers, you know? So that's that's me.
0: I love that. I love that. Well, Dr. Baptiste, it has been truly a pleasure and an honor to have this conversation with you. I wanna move this book directly in the middle of the camera. So if you are, and this is for young professionals specifically, right? It is
1: for professionals, clinical mental health, it's for counselor types of professional types, which is if people come to you, know what to do. Okay. But you know what? Regular people can read it to see some of the issues we talk about.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, Regular thank people you. People can read it to see some of the issues you talk about. So, Well, I'm looking forward to reading it. I'm not a, a mental health professional, but I'm a black woman. <laughs> so yeah. I want to see what's in here. And um, thank you so much again for joining us. It's been such a pleasure to have this conversation with you. And um, guys, yeah. that's a wrap. I will see you guys on the next episode of Thrive Alive. Bye. Thank you, Nose Jasmine. Thank you. (laughs)